Today, we have Denise Piazza on the show. Denise is a CPA who discovered the tax advantages of real estate investing from her clients and has been investing in real estate for the past decade. Denise knows that real estate is one of the best investments you can make, and she loves to teach others how to get involved. She's invested in many different types of real estate assets, including office, triple net, commercial, single family, and multifamily. Listen and learn. Before we jump into the intro, look, are you afraid to start investing in real estate? I was also when I started, so I wrote a book called Why Not You to help you push past the fear. You could find it on Amazon by searching my name. On to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Denise Piazza before we start the show. Denise lives in Pennsylvania with her family. She learned the tax benefits of investing in real estate from her clients. Since then, she's been off to the races investing and teaching others how to invest. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Denise Piazza. Denise, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Darren. I'm excited. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Um, we actually met because we were co-sponsors on a deal in South Carolina. Uh, we both had a relationship with the lead sponsors, which were uh, Arn Sinadella and Reed Goosens. You know, when we went into town for due diligence, Denise was there and she actually brought one of her investors with her. And we got to tour the properties and ch check it out and do due diligence. And also, you know, I don't know about Denise, but for me, it was my first time in Greenville. So just getting a feel for the area and a sense for the area and what was going on and all the, um, you know, the growth that was happening in that market was important for me to see as well. So, um, you know, with that, Denise, can you share with the listeners how many properties and how many units you're invested in? Sure. Thanks for the intro. Um, and yeah, just to touch on the Greenville uh, area a little bit in our experience, I thought it was it was great. It's so important when you're doing deals and you're purchasing properties to get a feel for the area. Um, and I think, you know, we all had a great time. We got to, you know, walk around downtown and check out the fantastic restaurants. I'd actually been going to Greenville for, um, you know, for the past uh, 10 years on an offer. So because a good friend of mine um, lives there. But Anyway, yeah, just great, great experience. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. But yeah, absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know what's funny is, um, you know, Arn, you know, we kept talking about how great Greenville is, right? He lives there. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting an Uber from the airport to the hotel. And it was a guy from Boston. He, he just moved to Greenville like two years ago. And I didn't say boo. Like I didn't ask right. him any questions. Nothing. I got in the car and all he did was keep start telling me how great Greenville is. So I, when I, when I saw Aaron, I said, you set me up, you sent that Uber driver to me, didn't you? 
because yeah. he was he was just loving it. And so that yeah. was a great start to the whole weekend. Yeah, there's nothing not to love. There's there's new stuff going on. Every time I visit, I hadn't been there in a year or so, and it's just unbelievable to see all the the progress and how how much fun, truthfully, the area is when it comes down to it. Yeah, that's um, awesome. But a bit about my background, I am a uh, CPA, I'm a general partner in uh, close to about 900 units of multifamily. I have over a decade of um, both passive and active uh, real estate investing experience. So um, when I first started uh, passively investing, I did, you know, all different types of asset classes. So we have an office building, um, it's fully occupied fully occupied, as I always feel the need to say, uh, post-COVID. Right. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, everyone's you must be hurting like, on that oh, one, gosh. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I always like, uh, I immediately go to that. Um, we've invested in a lot of triple nets, um, some commercial retail properties, um, multifamily. We have a single family. Um, and so, you know, we, my husband and I, we've both been investing for a while. We have a strong network of other real estate investors, um, and we, uh, wanted to, you know, just test out all different asset classes and see what met our investing needs. So more recently I've been focused a lot on, uh, multifamily, um, and the general partnerships, um, and the active experiences mostly on the multifamily side. So what do you like about, I mean, you, you're involved, a lot of the people I bring on are kind of focused on multifamily, um, You've been involved in a lot of different asset classes. Why are mm -hmm. you choosing to focus more of your attention on multifamily going forward? So truthfully, when we first started investing, I think that I just said to myself, um, I know I want to be in real estate. I want to have real estate as a portion of my portfolio because of the tax benefits. So being an accountant, being a CPA and in the finance world, you, you know, there's a lot of focus on the tax benefits. Um, and I didn't at that time, years ago, really spend as much time focusing on what are my own personal investing goals. So outside of just getting the tax benefits associated with real estate, you know, am I focused on the velocity of my money and, and how quickly my money um, turns over in an investment or am I focused more on cash flow? So I think we, um, you know, didn't take the right step truthfully when we first um, started investing and just sitting down and figuring out what we wanted to be the end game um, associated with some of those investments and the horizon and the um, how that fit into our long-term investing strategy. Um, but now, you know, and I mean, I still have a lot of those investments and they're cash flowing great um, and they are very profitable. It's just now um, multifamily at this point in time where I'm at in my investing career that's what meets um, the goals of, uh, of where I want to go with my long-term wealth building strategy. Um, and a lot of the folks that are in our investor network, it's, um, it's the same concept. And, you know, as you know, Darren, you also get, you know, you still get the cash flow benefits as well. Um, maybe not as strong as some of the other asset classes, but uh, the appreciation and the velocity of your returns is really what attracts me to multifamily. What do you mean by velocity? I, I mean, I know, but for the, for the listener's benefit. Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of the, the projects that, you know, folks like you and I work on, the time hold horizon might be, you know, about 
five years. I think a lot of us project our purchases, our acquisitions on a five-year basis. Um, and within that time frame, you know, you're you're adding value to a property if you're buying a value-add property, or if you're doing a development deal, you're actually constructing the property and you're doing a lease-up uh, program. And basically within that time frame, um, you know, you are adding value to that property, but you're also generating a strong overall return on an annual basis. Um, and then you utilize those returns to, um, you know, to basically accelerate your your wealth building um, and the overall returns on multifamily properties and the, and the um, horizon of that you're holding the asset, you're actually you know, you're getting your money back quicker than you would be with a lot of other asset classes. So if it's, you know, if it's me, I want to get back my capital as quickly as possible so that I can redeploy that elsewhere, right? So I want my money to be constantly working for me and always cognizant as to what's going on in the market because, you know, obviously real estate um, is a very sound, strong asset class. Um, multifamily people always need a place to live, but there's, you know, different things happening within different markets. There's different, um, even asset classes within multifamily. So I think for myself and for my investor base, we want our capital back as quickly as possible so that we can roll that, you know, tax deferred, um, asset into a new property and, um, and redeploy our capital there. So that's what I mean by the velocity yeah, of our returns. Yeah, so I, I mean, I completely agree there. And I would say that, you know, if you look at either a development deal or uh, buying an existing cash flowing multifamily deal, you know, in both instances, the group is looking to improve that property. So if it's development, they're buying land and then they're improving it by actually developing, you know, a property on top of it. Um, if, you're, if you're buying a value add existing property, then, you know, you may be repainting the exterior or renovating the interiors or putting in new amenities. But a lot of that rehab, a lot of that capex happens in that first year. So and then it takes some time to cycle through and, and you know, increase the rents over a year or two or three years. But in year four, five, six, seven, like the, there's diminishing returns because you can't, you don't have the capital anymore to continue to improve it at the same rate that you were that first year or two. So I think that that's why you get those outsized returns in the beginning. And then if you can get your capital out and then put it into another deal like that, that has those huge returns, that's where you get that velocity of money. So talk about like, being a CPA and having a finance background and getting into this space, like you mentioned that you did it because tax benefits, but you know, I know that I've had conversations with you both down in South Carolina and offline that, you know, you, you had a lot of wealthy clients that you were doing tax work for and, and financial work for, and you saw the benefits of it. And so, and then you started to invest as well and saw the benefits. So explain to the listeners kind of why you started to invest more and more into real estate. Sure. So when I first started um, as a CPA um, back in, in our, my public accounting days, um, I Which had a firm? lot of, 
Um, it's a it's a local firm. Um, it was called Kogan Sklar. Okay. It's a regional based in the Northeast area, based out of Pennsylvania. So I started with Price Waterhouse long <laughs> Did you? time ago. Long, right long time yeah. ago, right? Long, long time yes. ago. Yes. Yes. So this firm was great for my needs in that I could do both audit and tax work. Yeah. Um, but a lot of my tax clients uh, that I got to work on um, were a lot of real estate uh, individuals who held real estate or real estate based companies. Um, and one thing that I noticed is that a common denominator across um, many of my uh, high net worth clients was investments in real estate and real estate holdings. So with that, I knew that that was something that I needed to um, get exposure to and to have within my investment portfolio. And, you know, over that time, at that particular time when I was first started, I did not have the, the level of liquidity that I needed um, to get involved. But once, once we did, you know, that's, that's something that I knew would be within my portfolio. So I had a lot of um, clients and folks just within our network um, don't hold this against me, Darren, but my husband is a CPA as well. Um, <laughs> right. so, that, that doesn't always happen. You might have one and the other one is completely right, different. Right. Right. So we basically say um, that our children have no chance of being cool whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel for them. Um, but yeah, so we, we between the two of us, we had a lot of folks who that we were able to tap into and um, to gain from their experience, developers, um, you know, all types of people with all different types of holdings. And so we learned from those experiences and then we started to get involved as well. Um, and yeah, so, you know, we have a strong investor base and, you know, I, I think the differences too with some of the folks that are our investor base is, um, you know, a lot of times people get skeptical about investing in real estate. It's just something that, they um, they were never educated on. Um, they might put a lot of uh, money into their 401k and, you know, the traditional market. And listen, I I do both of those as well. Um, and I never, you know, me personally, I never deter people from investing in, in everything and, and keeping yourself as diversified as possible. But I think the difference in our investor base is a lot of them already know and are very aware of the benefits associated with investing in real estate and have been doing so um, for a period of time. And so it eliminates uh, maybe a step or two in that, you know, there's um, a little bit more familiarity with with these asset classes. Um, you know, with that being said, I still educate, I, we still try to educate everyone that we work with um, because you might've invested in real estate before, but it might've been different asset classes. You might not know about things such as opportunity zones or cost segregation studies or, you know, timing your capital gains with your capital losses, things of that nature. So, you know, we still try to provide a lot of education and really um, continue to do so for our investor base so that they um, can just be aware of everything that's available and that's out there. That's huge. Uh, one, I applaud you because... Look, there's a lot of people that are around wealthy people and don't take the time to figure out, like, what did you do? You know, <laughs> right. and, and then what did you do and how, do, how can I get involved? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, there was a, I'll share a story. I had a guy who his dad, I was friends with, 
and his son was going to college and he was working for like, I don't know, Cutco Knives or something. And the father set up all these appointments, you know, for him to go in and, and do his the son do the pitch, right? Yep. And the son came in and pitched us and, you know, I don't know, we bought one, one knife or multiple knives or whatever it was. Um, but at the end, I said, you know, you missed something. Your dad has gotten you in the door with all these people. And a lot of them are business owners and, you know, successful people in different industries. You know, go for the sale, but also ask what they did. Yeah. You know, learn from each one of them. Yeah. And because I think that's so important is learning from other people that have already done what you want to do. Yep. And and then take an action. So yes. I applaud you for that. There's a lot of CPAs in this world that will just do the tax return and gripe mm-hmm. about the fact that these wealthy people are getting these tax benefits, but then they don't go and take action to do the same. Yeah. yeah. I like to think of it as your sphere of influence. So you really, you know, in every aspect of what you do, um, every career you have, every opportunity you have, every investment group you work with, um, take a look around and, you know, always try to gather from what, you know, people, other people did successfully to get in the position that they're in. Um, you know, sometimes it might be a little bit intimidating, especially when you're uh, right out of school. But um, basically, I find that people love to talk about the things that they did that were that they, that they were successful in. And oftentimes there was also a number of things that, that they did that, you know, might have created some failures and some lessons learned from that. So um, I think one of the greatest things that you can do in any um, job that you have or as I said, any in group that you're within. Um, I know I do some masterminds and some, um, I'm an angel investor, so I'm in an angel investing groups. Um, one of the most important thing to me is to take every situation, like, you know, you're, you're in a sphere of influence by people. And um, it's, there's always so much to gather from, from other people's experiences. That's, that's huge. I, I love it. I love it. The other thing you said was that, you know, there's people out there that are skeptical of real estate. And I, I was one of them. I mean, one, I, I probably, I, w- I have another business that trades loans between banks, residential, multifamily, and commercial. And I had, for years and years and years, I had presidents of banks and chief lending officers telling me how much they loved multifamily and that how great of an asset class that was in their portfolio, how it performed so well in up markets and down markets. Yet, I didn't get involved until four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous getting in involved. So, you know, I think that that's a huge advantage that you have that your investor base, a lot of them have familiar, familiarity with, with real estate. And because I know for me, um, you know, when I bought my first duplex, I was scared to death, um, you know, just scared to lose and I had the capital. Um, and then... My first syndication, I was scared. And mm-hmm. and now I'm not scared, you know, but it's because I've done a lot of them, you right. know? And so in the first time doing anything is scary. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So I, I had a quite a few incidents where, um, you know, I was, again, we, we were very fortunate in that we had a lot of good over the years, uh, experiences, passively investing in assets. Um, but you know, one thing that, how do you define good? <laughs> um, that, that they could be different for right, a lot of different people. Uh, totally agree. So communication was clear. I felt as though I was in the loop as to what was going on with the asset and how we were executed, how the team was performing versus, um, you know, their projections and how they were executing uh, their business plan. Um, I think that, you know, the returns were aligned with what, you know, was initially expected or exceeded those um, expectations. Um, but we also have had some experiences that were not so good um, in which, you know, we were able to, I was able to gather a lot, um, about, you know, different scenarios and working with different folks and different groups and, um, you know, took a lot away from, um, those scenarios. One story that I have is that, um, one of our investments was in a very large property, um, and the team itself had a lot of experience. They had a strong track record. But what they didn't have was um, a track record of a very heavy value add um, where basically you're completely uh, repositioning this property with a lot of construction work, um, a lot of renovation work, interior, exterior um, property had some, you know, significant um, issues prior to takeover. And so, you know, you see a track record, you see um, that, you know, the team has done a lot of activity in the past, but you don't see, nothing jumps out at you to see that they might not have ever performed this big of a renovation. And most of their properties were very light value adds where they only had to come in and maybe change some countertops or replace some flooring or, or things of that nature. So, um they did not do such a great job of executing their business plan. Um, I didn't know to look at things like, you know, well, how, how is your construction budget? Um, do you have contingencies? You know, what um, in your previous properties, how much renovation work did you do? How much did you spend? What was your spend, um, actual spend versus what your budgeted spend was? Um, you know, what was your timeframes? Did you meet you, those timeframes? All those types of questions that you might have when you're, um, you know, there's a lot of upside when you have uh, a heavy value add project like that. However, there's also more risk um, involved. Right. So you really want to make sure that um, the team that you're working with has the right level of experience um, in that asset class and in that type of um, acquisition. Those are great questions. Listeners, write those questions down. <laughs> those are great questions. Hey, what are some of the questions that investors ask you when, when you're presenting a deal to them? What, what's kind of some of their main concerns? I'd say a lot of folks um, want to understand the whole time period. Um, they want to make sure that, you know, their money is not going to be tied up for a significant amount of time and they won't be able to access it. Um, a lot of folks ask a lot of questions about returns. Um, and the financial metrics. And I'd say not a lot of folks ask questions about the market itself um, because the market itself, uh, how strong a market is, really 
um, can mitigate your risk associated with that uh, property itself or the fund or whatever you're investing in. So if it's an area that has those characteristics that we all like to see of population growth, job growth, um, employment, industry, diversity, um, things of that nature, then, you know, you're in, in a good school, school yeah, the properties are in good school districts, you know, that greatly mitigates your risks. And not a lot of folks, you know, we present those aspects of our property, but not a lot of folks dig in or ask a lot of questions about that. And I think, you know, that's, that's an area that um, investors should ask a little bit more about, um, as well as just information about the team itself. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of people ask me a lot of questions about, again, financial metrics um, and returns and, you know, what that's going to look like. But, um, you know, you should also try to know um, a lot more about the team um, and their track record and their, um, you know, their strong suits as well as the markets that you're investing in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, and being landlord friendly, being in the market that's landlord friendly, uh, that you can actually, you know, if somebody's non-paying, you can actually have them evicted if they're not, you know, rather than have them stay there for six, nine, 12 months. That's right. Um, now, how do you answer this? You know, you get an investor that says, how, how do I know it's a good deal? Like, I'm like, look, when you talk about financial metrics, I get a lot of deals that come through my email box. I'm sure you do too. Um, and they're, financial metrics are pretty similar on most deals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, sure. 68% cash flow, double your money over three to five years. How do you know which deals are good deals and which deals are not? You know, And some people get caught up in the, hey, this one says 150% return, you know, and this one says 100%. Maybe I should do the 150%. Like, you know, how how do you answer that piece? I think um, when it comes down to it, I think you have to look at your, um, the way that the property and the investment, the leverage is structured. So especially in today's environment with interest rates being where they are, um, I like to see deals with a lower um, loan to value than what we have been seeing in the past couple years. Um, so that greatly mitigates your risk when a deal has a lower um, loan to value ratio. Um, so, you know, right now we're seeing 60 to 65%, um, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I think, you know, a lot of inexperienced investors overlook the debt component to these deals because that's really where things can get hairy um, and can get, um, you know, can increase your risk. Um, you also want to take a look at some of the key assumptions that the folks that the team involved, um, all have. And some of those key assumptions are, you know, the, what, what's their interest rate? Um, is it fixed? Is it floating? Is it floating? You know, do you have sufficient interest reserves? Do you have an interest rate cap? Do you, um, how do they project out rent growth in that particular market? And does it seem like it's a reasonable assumption? So right now, um, you know, we're coming off of years where we've had record sky high rent growth, but looking out into the future, you know, the the prudent thing to do is still to expect that two to 3% rent growth, because if you end up exceeding it, then all it is is gravy on top of your um, already projected um, strength of your returns. 
Absolutely. Um, and look at the change in valuation of the property as well. So, you know, did did they buy the property for, you know, $300,000 a door and they're selling it for $600,000 a door? <laughs> you know, something as simple as that, all the investors might not have um, what we call the cap rate, um, you know, predictions that might be in a particular submarket. Uh, we pay a lot of money for um, resources and um, systems to get access to that type of data. But there's a, you know, there's a, a reasonability test that you can that you can do in looking at how much the um, the operating income and the valuation of the property changes in the projections. Those, those are all great areas to focus on. You know, I would start with what you talked about before is, you know, start with the market. You mm -hmm. know, make sure you're in a good, good market because... If you're in a market where everybody's moving out of, you know, that's, and then you, and then you have a deal that has a lot of growth for, you know, right. assumptions, there's probably some questions um, that come up. Secondly is the people, you know, you, you talked about that before mm -hmm. having an experienced team, you know, and then when you get into the deal, all those questions that you just talked about, I agree. I think that the debt component is, is a piece that a lot of people um, overlook and um, it's a very important component. And it's a, it's a difficult one, you know, granted it's a difficult one for the syndicator to, to solve because look, in the, in the last two, three years, there were a lot of syndicators that were kicking themselves because they had fixed rate mm -hmm. debt with, with yield maintenance prepayment penalty and when rates went down their yield maintenance prepayment penalty shot through the roof and so they felt like they couldn't sell right even though the valuation of the property was great um, most of that profit would go to the lender mm -hmm. uh, for the prepayment penalty so then everybody moved to well not everybody a lot of people started shifting to floating and now rates went from three percent to six or seven percent so right it's it's uh, it's a difficult one to to manage for sure, but that's something that you should be looking at and understand the risk associated with it. Right, correct. So, um, what about like friends and family versus other people like that you've met through angel investing groups or your know, real estate in investors or meetups or whatever, like. Some people are afraid to, especially early on, mm -hmm. to introduce these types of deals to friends and family. Mm -hmm. What's your take on that? I mean, I think I never want anyone to invest with me or with a group that I'm associated with if they don't feel comfortable. So I think in that case, the importance and the uh, responsibility goes back to me to educate people as to here are the facts. There's risk associated with every investment, um, including, you, you know, your other holdings, your 401k plan, your everything that's in that you have in the market. Um, you know, you should be you should be educating yourself. I, I like to think that um, that I, you know, I, I want people to learn from, you know, my, my path and maybe, you know, don't jump into every different asset class right off the get-go and just know that real estate's great for tax benefits. You really want to, like I said, take your time to understand your investment goals, understand what you want from this property, um, and educate, educate, educate 
you know, educate yourself. Do you, um, do you and present it to net. them as an opportunity? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because really the, the reality is um, I think of it as it's just, you know, it's an opportunity. We have a, a wide investor base. Um, if it's something that they're not interested in, I'm, you know, I'm never offended and, you know, feel free to, you know, just move, pass it along and, and, you know, ignore it. But, um, I wish that I was exposed to more of the types of opportunities that I'm invested in now at an earlier age. You know, I invested I, only with certain people that I knew. Um, yeah. and I think that's important. You do want to trust that individual, but I didn't have access to some of these offerings and some of these other markets because the reality is, some of these markets and these opportunities are not local to me. So um, in the Northeast and a lot of the assets that I invest in um, are in Sunbelt markets. So, you know, South Carolina, we talked a lot about, I like a love a lot of markets in South Carolina, Texas, um, Florida, and uh, North Carolina and a few others as well. But, you know, you want to, you want to basically give people the same exposure that you're getting access to. I wouldn't expose them to something that I didn't feel comfortable with. Um, so, you know, and again, it's on me to, if they are interested, to make sure that they're, they feel comfortable and that they're feeling like they know enough about it and that they, you know, have done some due diligence. I, I, I think that's great. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's, it's an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't have access. You may use that word access. I didn't have access until four or five years ago. So like, you know, if you think about the medical field, if you had a cure to something, right. you know, would you only present it to people that, you know, w- weren't in your friend and family network? No, you would, you would talk about it to everybody that you, you know, you cared about. Yep. And um, so that's the approach that I take as well is that, look, I'm, in, you know, investing in, in these deals and I, any deal I'm involved with, I'm, you know, I, I feel strongly that it's a good deal. Yeah. And why wouldn't I share it with friends and family? But there are some people that are afraid because the deal could go bad. And you mentioned it before. Every investment has risk. That's right. The deal could go bad and a friend or family could lose. But the friend or family could also win big. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. And they're getting to leverage on the experience and the knowledge base that you have. Um, you know, you said you've been investing for 10, 10 plus years or, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, 10 plus years knowledge, you know, and they're getting to leverage that. That's huge. That's right. That's huge. Yeah. And a lot of folks truthfully within um, my friends and family base are, are interested they just don't know where to begin. I mean, that's everybody's problem. People that are interested, um, it's just there's so many different um, options out there in terms of asset classes and, you know, areas, markets, like we talked about. So where do you begin? Um, and what do I, you tell them? I like where to think begin? that I'm, you know, I'm I'm at a place where I have access to the tools, the the software, the um, the AI that you need to, to figure out what's, what are the good markets to be in? Um, and you know, the other thing, as I said, to consider is where do you want to, what do you want, what do you want to, um, 
what do you want your investment goals to be? Or what are your investment goals? And how do those asset classes align with your investment goals? If it's, um, you know, more cash flow, you know, we're, we, we do things like ATM machine funds and um, things of that nature that's more focused on a high cash flowing asset. But, you know, a lot of the folks that I end up investing with, they want more of the upside as well. So, um, you know, this multifamily, I like to think, you know, that's been my area of focus more recently because you get the best of both worlds. Right. So we didn't use the term, but, you know, part of it is mindset. And, you know, right, is these people that are looking to look at everybody starts with their first investment. Everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. You you had to buy a single family house. You you saw the benefit of, you know, your investors and your clients, you know, and then you got into it. Right. For me, four or five years ago, I, I was like, you know what? Everybody keeps talking about multifamily. I'm finally going to buy something. And I was scared and I did it. And then one thing then leads to another. And then you increase your experience and you get more, um, access to different deals and all of a sudden you start um, getting more exposure and um, but it starts with making that first decision and and being willing to take a risk mm-hmm. so how has your mindset expanded over these 10 years well, think back to when you bought your first deal and now you're, you're bringing people into syndications. Yeah. So I'd say, um, I come at it, um, every deal now with a three pillar investment mindset. Um, and those pillars are the team, the market and the investment itself. And I have, you know, we have very strong, uh, criteria that we want those investment opportunities to meet for each of our um, properties, our offerings. Um, And we will not, you know, we will not stray from those investment criteria. It's just, you know, we had different experiences. And as I said, some most were great, some not so great. Um, And that, that is, you know, giving me the confidence, you know, we talked about mindset to, to come up with those criterias. Um, that I feel very strongly about. So I think it's, there's been a, a lot of growth over that time frame. Um, I also think one thing that I like to think I'm pretty good at doing is I like to think that I can, in my, all of my experience um, working with different people over the years, is I try to take topics that are a little bit more complicated and more out of the um, everyday realm that people are used to to hearing about and you know talking about. And I like to make it very simple, you know, and basically I like simple, <laughs> I like simple. <laughs> I like being able to just take these concepts and really just get it to the point where anybody can understand um, the value associated with in these types of investments. And I All think right, so let's let me pick a few words that could be intimidating in our world and give us the simple syndication. Pulling investors' money together to purchase a property. Awesome. Private equity. Just basically the funds that you need from the uh, outside of debt, so from your investors, to purchase a deal. Yeah, and it's different than buying stocks. That's the public markets. And private markets, private equity is just 
investing in deals that are not in the stock market. Right. Right. They're private. Yep. And these are private transactions. Um, capital stack. That's one that, that sounds so complicated. It does sound very complicated. So that's just basically the means, the funds that you are utilizing to purchase a property and to acquire it. And it's usually composed of debt and equity, the private equity that you're raising. So as the simplified version is the loan and then the equity from different high net worth individuals that are pooling their money mm -hmm. in a syndication. I mean, it's as simple as that. But some of these words will scare people Absolutely. off. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and, and so I think that's important that you're able to, you know, take those words and, yeah. and make and it these simplified. Are, I mean, you know, these are very intelligent, you know, people, business owners, people that, you know, uh, are very smart, but they don't hear those terms on a day in and day out basis. I mean, it's right. just, you know, that's just the nature of what they do. You know, they have their heads down and they're trying to focus on growth of their business and their family, their friends, things of that nature. So it's more just about, you know, it's intimidating, but it's also just something that they don't hear about often. And so it's, you know, even if they do have a sense for what it is, it's reminding them, giving them the refresher um, and making it simple because it's, it's not rocket science. Simple and use the word comfortable a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in order for somebody to invest 50,000, 75,000, 100,000, 200,000, like even if they're pulling it into a 30 or $40 million deal, it's a lot of money and you have to get comfortable. Right. You have to understand. You have, to, you know, you have to have somebody that's kind of walking you through the process and, and, um, you sound like you're very good at what you do. <laughs> hey, so let's talk about teams. Um, you kind of focus on capital raising side and, and bringing other people, uh, your network to, to deals. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're involved in strategy and other components uh, of that as well. But let's talk about, you mentioned your three pillars, the team market and the investment itself. So the team, how do you, one, build relationships with these teams and decide which teams you're going to work with and which teams you're not? Sure. Um, I have to get to know them on a personal level. Um, I have to feel to the point where I know, like, and trust, um, you know, the individuals on the team I also um, try to invest with them prior to, you know, doing maybe a joint venture with them um, and working with them to know a couple of the things that we discussed previously, their communication habits, um, you know, how they keep their investors informed, how they perform on their pro on their properties. Um, so being able to see somebody's track record live is, um, is, is just, you know, a lot even better than just seeing something on a piece of paper, um, and getting to know them on a personal level. And one thing that I try to, you know, figure out when you're partnering with anybody, um, I think the one thing is you figure out how they're going to treat investors should things not happen according to plan. You know, so, um, you know, have they had an incident in the past where something has not gone to plan, um, where they didn't meet projections necessarily, but, um, you know, they came close. So did they take 
some of their own, you know, fees or or money from what they um, from what they benefited from the deal and give it back to their investors so that they could meet the projections that they had. Um, you know, how do you treat people when it comes down to, um, you know, issues or anything that um, might arise in any of these situations? So I think knowing um, that from themselves and then, you know, somehow if you can verify it, talk to investors. Um, I think that's other investors. I think that's something that gets so overlooked. I don't know if in your experience you see that as well, but just talk to other investors. Even if it's, you know, their best investor, I mean, you know, if they've been investing with them for a while, chances are something will have happened because no project goes perfectly from start to to end. Um, As you said, it takes, you know, a year typically to, to stabilize these properties. So it's, it's a long process and it's a, you know, it's um, a lot of experiences happen and just get to know how that person behaved when they were doing so. Yeah, I would, I would say, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I would say there's kind of two camps of passive investors. There are passive investors that I classify almost as professional passive investors. They're at all the meetups and go to the conferences and they, they talk amongst themselves and who, you know, how's your deal doing? How's your deal doing? Like, and, and they they talk about the different sponsors and, and the returns and the communication and all that. Um, and then there's other individuals that have their head down in a different world. Yeah. You know, they may be um, high net worth individual that has their own business or they're, you know, a sales executive for, for an industry and they just want to take their money and park it someplace else, get a good return. Um, but, but work with somebody that they know, like, and trust. Yes. And, but they may not have access to all the other investors um, to to get that information. Right, right. Yes, yeah, so that's a big advantage that um, that we have. You know, people like you and I too. We go to a lot of conferences. We have a large network within this world, um, and so we get the benefit of that and the benefit of talking to those uh, those types of people. So tell me, like we hear that those terms, know, like, and trust, over and over and over again. Yep, and. I've been a lead syndicator, you know, on a deal where I was running it. I was the asset manager. I was, you know, I was doing everything. Um, And I've also partnered with other lead sponsors. And I want to know your experience. Well, have you been a lead syndicator or if you partnered on all every deal? Mostly um, partnered. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to understand like, there's, I think, a different level of no like, and trust if the passive investor is investing with you and they know that you're not managing the deal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Versus if they knew, you know what, Denise is going to be there every week. Like they, They're trusting that you've spent the time to develop the relationship with this team. Yep. And I think that, that when having that one step further removed makes it even more difficult, mm-hmm. you know, to build that no like, and trust because they're trusting not only that, you know, you know what you're doing, but that you have vetted the team that is putting the deal together. Yes. Agreed. Um, and the other sense of comfort though, that they can get is that, you know, we're as um, sponsors, we are also, 
partly responsible for asset management. So I'm on, I'm sure you are as well. I'm on, you know, the weekly asset management calls for every asset that I've partnered on. Um, there's not one where I don't know exactly what's going on um, every point in time. And that's, you know, the only way that I can gain that level of comfort um, and the partners that I work with, they start meetings with, here's what our KPIs are for this property. Here's where we are. Here's what's going on. Here's where we are in terms of renovation. Um, so at a minimum, should something not be going according to plan, we're in the know and we can communicate that to our investors. That's, that's fantastic. I'm, I, I want to say guilty, but I'm not, I do it by design. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, so I want to partner with people that I feel strongly that yep. can manage that piece. Um, because just on a personal front, I don't want to have to do the, the asset management every right. week. Yet I do review the reports. And then if there's a deal that's going sideways, then I, I you know, insert myself yes. um, back into the deal. So um, talk about, well, we kind of talked about it when we talked about mindset, but talk about fear. Like, do you see that people are just, you know, there's some people that get educated, get educated, get educated, but just can't step off. How do you help them? How do you, how do you help people that, you know, they, you know that they want to do it mm -hmm. and, you know, you want it and you educate them. But at a certain point, and you can't guarantee, no. you know, every deal has a pro forma. It's a, it's a forecasted, you know, return. You can't guarantee it. So how do you help somebody get over the ledge? I'd say you, you try to figure out what they, what's keeping them, you know, from, from diving in. What's, what's the concerns and attack the concerns. But at the end of the day, I want people in my deals who feel comfortable. Yeah. So I will not, you know, um, I will gladly go over with them anything that makes them feel uncomfortable about this transaction. But some people it's just against their nature, you know, and that's fine. Absolutely. Like, you know, and then there's people that I've had that, you know, have not invested in the first two deals that, you know, maybe I did, but then another deal comes along and they're like, Oh, I know it seems like everything's going great. And um, you know, now I think I'm ready. I wanted to wait and see a little bit. I wanted to educate myself a little bit more and here's what I was hung up on, but now I talked to so-and-so and, you know, I feel better about that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, all you can do is ask them what their hangups are, um, and then provide some feedback. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want people to feel as empowered as they can. Um, and I never want anyone to do, uh, anything that makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, because you know, it'll just be, it's, it's, again, it's, if you're doing a development deal, if you're doing a value add deal, there's going to be some time before things look like they, you know, everything's perfect and it's all done. And you know, your NOI and not is every increased. deal goes in a straight line exactly. you know, based on, on what they're planning on doing. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there's hiccups along the way and there's, yeah. you know, pivots and, yeah. Um, so it doesn't always happen in a straight line, but I like what you said about, you know, you know, with, with the investors, you know, here's what I'm hung up on. And then, you know what, may, maybe now the timing is not right. And maybe this deal isn't right, Right. but 
you know, let me help you understand, you know, let me help educate you in that area so that maybe a month from now or three months from now or six months from now yeah. or two years from now, you you know, you can feel comfortable. Right. And that, that word comfortable um, is something, again, you bring up over and over and over again. But, you know, I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm off on this, but I wasn't totally comfortable the first time I invest, passively invested. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I had done everything that people tell you to do. You know, I, I'd gotten educated. I joined a multifamily mentorship group. I met people. I vetted the sponsors. I met them. I talked to their, you know, investors. But, you know, wiring that money for the first time is still scary. So I wasn't 100% no. comfortable, yeah. you know. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a, a point that, look, if, if it's your goal that you want to do, do this, that's the thing, I guess. When you decide that you, I want to passively invest in X number of deals so I can get this type of return. Right. Then you have to take action at some point. And I think, you know, we, we talked about private equity and private deals. I mean, for me, I, I totally agree with you. I'm, I, I, I don't always go in and I'm like, okay, everything's 100% great. It's perfect. It's guaranteed. No, that's not reality. But what I like about this asset class, along with the tax benefits, is that it's something that I feel like I have more control over. I did my own due diligence. I did some research. I'm not just putting money um, into a a certain company where I have no control and things are, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, turmoil in terms of, the market right now, there's also a lot of just, you know, changes in industry, um, you know, that's constantly that are taking place. So, you know, I think that with this type of asset, at least I feel as though I'm having a little bit more say over my um, my funds and, you know, how they're going to work for me. And um, again, you know, there's I think it's great to diversify. Um, I do not you know, even myself, I do not have everything in real estate, nor do I want to. I think it's, if you feel comfortable, figure out the investing in real estate, figure out the amount that you, the percentage of your portfolio that you want to put into real estate and then go from there. Um, and then, you know, I think, as I said, the one thing that I think is different than how people view their other investments is you actually have more, you know, the ability to do more upfront as opposed to just, you know, putting it into a financial advisor and then putting your funds and putting in an allocation for you and how you want it done. And then, you know. Completely agree. And I'll, I'll share an example from a passive side. I didn't, I wasn't even a general partner in this deal, but I was, I was a passive investor and I knew the sponsors and, you know, I read the investment deck and everything and, and their rent bumps, you know, I looked at them and they, Looked reasonable, but I wanted to, I wanted to do a little bit more due diligence. So I'm in Dallas. I drove down to Houston and I went and, and visited the properties surrounding it and asked what their rents were and, you know, how they, what they were getting for rent bumps, yeah. you know, today versus last year. Right. And I took that data and then I looked at the business plan and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so achievable. <laughs> And because all these other properties were 95%, you know, occupied and they were, they were getting those rental bumps, right? you know, so the whole sub market was, was moving up in rent. And so it made it 
a lot more real because, you know, it wasn't just numbers on a paper. <laughs> numbers on a paper. It was actual reality of not just our property that I'd be investing in, but the surrounding properties as sure. well. Sure. I love it. I love when people, when my investors do things like that and go digging and investigating. I yeah. want everybody to feel comfortable and feel that they know that this is a good opportunity. That, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. So where do you go from here? What's your next big stretch goal? What's 2023 and beyond look like for Miss Denise? So um, I'd like to do, um, you know, get some good opportunities, as I think we've all been hearing a lot about um, with the market, debt market being where it is, where interest rates are. I think there's it's a great time to purchase properties. Um, still, obviously, have to be cautious in all of your assumptions. I like to see uh, acquisitions at that lower loan to value uh, that we talked about, um, because the reality is, uh, is you know, the, the rates are pretty high right now. There was a pretty uh, fast velocity to which they were they were raised. Um, I think they'll continue to be high. My own personal opinion for the next year or so. But then you know. By the time you're done, um, you know, by the time you purchase and then execute your business plan, it'd be a good time um, in the next year or two to be able to refinance the property when your income's higher and your um, odds are that your rate is going to be lower than where it's at today. So um, I think it's a great time to buy. So I'm putting our, my head down and looking for those opportunities uh, for my investor community and, um, you know, hope to do another Four acquisitions in 2023. Awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So I want to get your take on this. I had um, I had somebody on and they brought up something that I hadn't really thought about, but they said they, you know, with the market going in, you know, the debt markets having difficulty and with rising interest rates and whatnot, that we may see more deals that are purchased to 100% equity. And that surprised me at first because, you know, they said, well, you know, the equity is cheaper than the debt. And I'm like, well, equities typically is always more expensive because when you add in both components. But then when they explained it, well, hey, if, if they were to take a, a PREF and it's accrued and it's not paid out, well, you're, you're saving the cash flow and you're versus paying a 6% or 7% interest rate mm -hmm. on the debt. And then if, I mean, there's no guarantee that rates are going to go down, but if rates do go down, we have a recession, rates go down, or we're in a recession, then rates go down, right. whatever the case may be. Um, then at that time, when if markets stabilize and the debt, then you refi and mm -hmm. get the lower debt and mm -hmm. then pay out investors, you know, based on you know, doing that refi. That to me is interesting. I think it's just interesting. I just still can't wrap my head around the, how realistic it is. Um, I think smaller deal, like it's, smaller that's a lot, it's a lot of capital you would have to raise. Yes. Right. I mean, some of these deals have been 30, 40, $50 million, million yeah. dollar deals. Exactly. How, you know, how are you going to raise 30, 40, 50 million dollars, but on smaller deals, you know, that, that could oh, be, sure an option where you you take down the whole deal and you just kind of wait for you know the interest rate markets to to get yeah. um, I think it's knowing too what your investor expectations are in terms of uh you know their return rates too I mean I think 
when it comes down to it, you have to be aligned with that. And with where treasury yields are right now, I think, you know, it's, it's important to know what your investors are expecting. And I think that can certainly play into that scenario. Um, but if you can make it happen, great. I think it, you know, it's like you said, if, especially for some smaller deals, that'd be nice to, to gobble up a few with all equity and not have to worry about, um, you know, the interest rate risk. Right. Right. So what do you like to do for fun outside of work? So I, my family and I, we- You're a CPA and so- I know, it's exciting. Um, All right, let's hear yeah. Yeah, You probably jump out of planes or something. Oh, always. <laughs> no, we are big beach goers. We have a beach house that we, um, I consider to be my happy place. Nice, um, where? Um, it's in Avalon, New Jersey. So um, we spend a lot of time there. Um, in the summer and then even try to get down there in the fall when it's um, still pretty beautiful out in the spring. And in the winter, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty heads down in this household. Um, <laughs> so, um, but you know, our escape is, uh, is our, is our little getaways to our, um, to our beach house. Avalon, I actually, we had, so my wife's, one of her good friends had a, had a house in Avalon. And, okay. And, um, we spent a week there. It was probably going back, I don't know, maybe seven, ten years okay. um, back. But it was it was a cool little area, and, yeah. and um, you know, I we had a we had an awesome time, and um, just seems like that was the thing to do for a lot of people was to have their their getaway. So I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. And then in the winter, I'll just live vicariously through you, through your pictures on Instagram and your travels. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'll just, <laughs> you have just the most, uh, I love, I love looking at your adventures. It looks like you guys are having a great time. So. Well, RV life has been yes. good so far, but you know, who knows, maybe it's a year, maybe it's, yep. you know, three years, yeah. who, who knows, you um, never but know. at least, at least we took action. We're doing it. We're seeing some places um, that we haven't been to before. So. I love it. Um, so listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Hey, um, where can people reach you if they want to get to know you better? Sure. Um, they can, uh, my website is uh, one street, no S, uh, capital.com. Um, and then they can also send me an email at Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, at one street capital.com. Awesome. Hey, especially if you guys, so she's in Pennsylvania. Um, if you're in the, in the Northeast, and I, I talk to a lot of people that are more in Texas and, and the Sun Belt, and look, if you're in the Northeast, like, and you want a resource, please, you got to go meet this girl. Please. I, so do you have a meetup or anything like I that? I do, I do. You do? Tell yes. us about the meetup. Yes, so we have a meetup that we do. Um, it's in Wayne, Pennsylvania, so... Um, we meet typically once a month. Um, I've been doing a couple of virtual ones as well, but we typically meet at a restaurant in Wayne. Um, and my meetup group is called, um, one street capital. So, um, one street Where capital multifamily that? on meetup.com. Okay. Or you can also get, just get in touch with me and I can, um, add you to our group and you can feel free to reach out. Um, and we can, uh, meet hopefully in uh, in the near future fantastic and Listeners i hope you def- and i get to get to meet uh, in our greenville area again sometime soon 
Absolutely. And I hope that we could work on another deal together. So, you know, I'm I'm like, okay, well, she's going to get four acquisitions. I hope I'm involved with at least one of them. That's right. um, Listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 